With great mojo comes great responsibility. Mojo 5 Mojo 5 We will make America great again. Sam Sorbo. Sam Sorbo Show. I'm Sam Sorbo, your host. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, well, I got photo ops. We got protests. We've got positioning, posturing. We're going to talk a little bit about Floyd. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about an answer to what's happening in the country uh, with the various protests happening. I've got a bunch of great audio to share with you folks. Um, I was expecting a guest and for some reason have not been able to connect. So we will move on from that. But if my guest decides to call in, uh, I'll be switching over to that. So uh, just to prepare you, I don't know why you need to be prepared. You're in this for the long haul. We've got an hour here to cover a number of things that are happening today in the news, much of which is somewhat confusing. So I want to start with a piece that was written by um, somebody I'm not terribly familiar with, Glenn Laurie, in Quillette. If you haven't seen Quillette, it's, uh, it's, it's a fairly new, I mean, it's been around for a few years, but it's sort of now kind of reaching critical mass. And um, she published this piece for, for Glenn uh, and said, please, you know, Share This Far and Wide, uh, Glenn Lurie. And it's called Condemn This Violence Without Equivocation. And it raises some very interesting uh, points. So one of the things that I want to talk about is this idea, there are ideas that, are, that have taken hold. And um, I believe it was uh, Nietzsche said, you don't have ideas, ideas have you. There are these ideas that have taken hold that have the people that have the culture, that that control, that own the culture, if you will. And we have to be careful of those because sometimes they become untrue, but it, it doesn't matter because if everybody believes it to be true, then for all intents and purposes, it is true. This is something that I've been struggling with myself because... I do a lot of research, and so I discover sort of behind-the-scenes interesting things that, that maybe change would, would change the narrative if they were well-known. But they're not well-known, and you can't make them known because, um, well, in a sense, because our education system has taught us to learn something and then, and then reject anything that contradicts the thing that we've already learned if that makes sense, which of course it doesn't. It's ridiculous, but that seems to be what what our education environment has taught us. One of the things that we're struggling with is if you criticize the protests, then you're criticizing the protest. If you're criticizing, sorry, if you criticize the rioting and the looting, then you're criticizing the protesters, which means that you're criticizing the protests which means that you're for police brutality and police killing George Floyd. 
And of course, that's a tremendous oversimplification and a complete misrepresentation. And so I think for that reason, um, Quillette thinks that this article is very important. Condemn this violence without equivocation. And he starts by saying, I thank God that the brutal and senseless killing of George Floyd, an unarmed black man, by the white Minneapolis police officer, Derek Chauvin, was captured on video for all the world to see. That shocking episode provides irrefutable evidence, yet again, of the callous, corrupt, and inhumane practices that are being used by some of those to whom we have granted the fearsome authority and weighty responsibility of policing the streets of our cities. Chauvin's behavior and that of his fellow officers who are depicted in the video standing idly by for what seems like an eternity while he casually kneels on Floyd's neck, choking the life out of him, is contemptible, enraging, and entirely unacceptable. I said, I said as much myself. I said I, I watched that video and just the video is... Now, mind you, it's just the video, right? So I don't know. We don't know what happened before the video. Um, we don't know. There's, there is a lot still that we don't know. We, we just discovered, by the way, that Floyd had COVID-19, at which point my son says, so he died of covid uh, which, you know, if it weren't so tragic, um, would be funny, but, um, yeah, he, apparently he had COVID as well. Although they say that, um, he didn't exhibit any of the symptoms, including the diminished lung capacity that COVID sufferers sometimes have. Um, but whether COVID also contributed to his his untimely death remains to be seen. Anyway, um, he continues, Glenn Laurie continues, this would be true, of course, regardless of the victims or policemen's race. And I've said also, I don't know what role race played in this. I know what role it plays in the riots. Uh, yet, he says, given our country's history, when the murderous cop is white and the civilian who dies is black. There is a truth there. It's essential that those who committed this apparent crime be held accountable in a duly constituted court and should they be found guilty, punished to the fullest extent of the law. And in fact, they just changed the, um, they've arrested the other three officers and they changed the charges against the first officer, Derek Chauvin, um, to second degree murder. But then he goes on and he talks about the protests, the crowds, angry people. He says, protesters, the vast majority of whom have gathered peacefully to make their voices heard, render a vital public service with their insistent demands for change. Their anger is fully justified. Their impatience is entirely understandable. They must not be ignored. But, and this is the big but, not all protests have been peaceful. Not every protester has behaved righteously. And in fact, Chris Cuomo, 
on CNN actually said he doesn't understand. What did he say? Um, he 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 thinks that it should be perfectly acceptable for protests to turn violent. Listen to this. Now, too many see the protest as the problem. No, the problem is what forced your fellow citizens to take to the streets. Persistent and poisonous inequities and injustice. And please show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Okay, so a lot of people answered him with, uh, duh, that is the definition that is what the what the First Amendment protects, the right to peaceably protest. Therefore, peace. They must be peaceful. That's what the First Amendment says. It's kind of funny because he got he actually got a lot of sort of pushback for that because it was so it was such an absurd Steve Guest, one First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And and so many other people answered as well. So uh, with, with this, basically with the same thing, it says peaceably, that's, that is the... <laughs> Part and parcel, dude. This is Chris Cuomo, who basically, because he said it that way, sounds like he's arguing for violence in the protests. And and no, the problem is that the protests turned violent. That is the problem. Yes, the George Floyd incident never should have happened. I totally agree. And the protests are justified. But the resulting violence from the protests is not. And so that brings me back to Glenn Laurie's piece up on Quillette. Because what happens is if you you condemn the violence, like, like what Chris Cuomo would apparently respond to my condemnation of the violence with, well, that's what you get. So unless you're you're for killing George Floyd, then you just have to take it part and par- part and parcel. And so Lurie writes this: to condemn the rioting, which I believe to be a moral and political imperative, is not at all the same thing as opposing the protests. Many observers have been reluctant to do the former because they wish to avoid the latter. I maintain that this is a grave mistake. On the contrary, sympathy for the protesters' reform agenda would seem to require condemning the nefarious deeds of looters and arsonists. For the rioting plays right into the hands of those political forces that are least sympathetic to the interests of poor communities of color. He writes, mark my words, the violence from these protests will, if it persists, provoke a vicious backlash. It will discourage people from viewing the plight of the minority poor 
with compassion and understanding. And I have to agree. He talks about a backlash of revulsion at the images of anarchy in our cities. And and they're, you can see them, they're, they're all over the internet now. These terrible images. He says that it will be felt not only on the far right of the political spectrum, the rioters who aim to inflict injury on the cops who help themselves to electronics and clothing inventories of looted department stores who willfully destroy the small businesses of, hey, often non-white merchants whose shops took a lifetime to build are, all, are going a long way toward solving President Trump's re-elections problems for him, if history is any guide. They're putting Democrats in very difficult positions. Even as they act in ways that appear to vindicate Trump's darkest visions of America. Now, I, I believe, uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that we fall in different camps politically. And so I don't necessarily agree with everything that he's saying and every conclusion that he draws. But there is a lot of value in what he's saying. And he, he concludes, he says, you know, we're in a very de- dangerous situation now. Basically on the brink of uh, a widespread epidemic of civil unrest whose ultimate consequences are difficult to reckon. All it may take is just one political assassination, one mistaken shot fired by a nervous, frightened young National Guardsman confronting a raucous mob. One enraged immigrant shopkeeper who guns down a black youngster trying to loot his store, and all hell may break loose, he says. There is dry tinder that only needs a spark to start a conflagration. And there exist the opportunists in our midst who would hope this might be so. And that's why he's insisting that progressive intellectuals who make excuses for street violence, even in the face of the awful killing of George Floyd, are making a monumental moral and political error. By the way, he's an economics professor at uh, the Watson Institute at Brown University. When I went to college, Brown was known as the biggest party school in the country. I'm sure it's not anymore. I'm not sure, actually. I have no idea. It could be. But it's interesting that um, that Glenn Laurie is basically, and I, and, you know, I, I didn't really look at the timing of this, but he seems to be refuting exactly what Chris Cuomo is sort of applauding in a sense. And that brings me to Kaylee McEnany. And she took to, uh, she took to the podium and was grilled by um, Jim Acosta. And I want to play you some of that. So as you, as you probably are aware, unless you've been living under a rock, the president took some time out of his day to provide a photo op in front of St. John's Church. We talked about that yesterday, um, at which point he held up a Bible and um, 
you know, allowed allowed the cameras. And the and the the point was that on his way to the photo op, there were protesters and they needed to be cleared out. And so the reports were that they used tear gas. They did not use tear gas. They used apparently they used some pepper bombs, um, which is uh, which is not tear gas, but it's but it's very makes it very difficult to breathe and it stings your eyes and it makes it very uncomfortable and it will clear out the room. You know, it's worse than my dog farting. I'll tell you that much. Um, so Jim was questioning her. Let me see if I can cue this up properly. Um, he was questioning her about that and the, and, and about those tactics. And she has such a good response here. Listen, she was gassed. Others say they were tear gas. Oh, she first she refuted that they used uh, the the tear gas. He he asked her why she was you know differentiating between tear gas and pepper bombs or whatever they say. Um, and the point is, he's trying to paint a, a very bad picture, and she's trying to say, look, you know, it was basically well within their rights and. It was well within sort of reasonable parameters um, when people don't uh, don't follow your direction initially or secondarily or tertiarily. Uh, you need to take, you know, other actions to enforce. And uh, Attorney General Barr said, hey, the perimeter needs to be expanded by at least a block in order to protect the president. So, you know, people were upset because... Um, how dare he clear out protesters so that he can go do a, a photo op? And I think it's, I think it's a really interesting kind of argument. At what point is it worth it, or or what have you? In any case, this was um, the, he finished up his eighth follow up question. In that area, well, no one was tear gas. Let me make that clear. That's been confirmed by DOD and by Park Services as well. So let me go back and address what happened because there's been a lot of misreporting. Um, first, I would note that these protests that were going on um, in the morning, AG Barr had determined that we needed to expand the perimeter by one block on each side. Um, he was surprised, AG Barr, when he arrived at the White House to see that that perimeter had not been moved. Um, so he said that we needed to get going with moving that perimeter. He told the officers that out there. Uh, that was late afternoon. So that decision was made in the morning, first of all. Uh, the protesters were told three times over loudspeaker that they needed to move. And what happened was it grew increasingly unruly. There were projectiles being thrown at officers. Frozen water bottles were being thrown at officers. Um, various other projectiles. And the officers had no other choice than in that moment um, to act and make sure that they were safe and that the perimeter was pushed back because, as we all know, a church was burning in that very area the night before. Um, so, All right, and then she goes on. Uh, she, she brings all kinds of statistics and, her, you know, she has a notebook there and she starts reading off from that to, uh, to answer his question. And then a little bit later, um, she's asked about the, uh, the, the symbolism of the photo. And I want to play you that because I, because her answer is, um, very, I, I, I suppose I, I should just say it, it just struck me. So hold on. It's not behaving. Here we go. Walk over there through the park into the church. 
It was extremely important. Look, the president wanted to send a very powerful message that we will not be overcome by looting, by rioting, by burning. This is not what defines America. And going and standing by St. John's Church was a very important moment. And I would note that through all of time, um, we've seen presidents and leaders across the world who have had leadership moments and very powerful um, symbols that were important for a nation to see at any given time to show a message of resilience and determination. Like Churchill, we saw him inspecting the bombing damage. It sent a powerful message of leadership to the British people. And George W. Bush uh, throwing out the ceremonial first pitch after 9-11, and Jimmy Carter putting on a sweater to encourage energy savings, and George H.W. Bush signing the Americans with Disabilities Act flanked by two disabled Americans. And for this... Pre- I love those examples. <laughs> Churchill, Bush throwing out the first pitch after 9-11 to show, hey guys, we're back in the game. Like, like the symbolism of that was profound, and and then the example of Jimmy Carter putting on a sweater. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much the epitome of the Carter years. Uh, I'll tell you when Obama was elected, I just kept repeating, well, Car- Carter gave us Reagan, Carter gave us Reagan, Carter gave us Reagan. Uh, th- th- that, that the best example, and of course, she's trying to be sort of ecumenical. She's trying to, you know, involve both sides. The best example that she could come up with was Carter put on a sweater? And okay, yes, it is symbolic, but it wasn't symbolic of of the greatness or the power of overcoming. It was symbolic of saving on your gas bill or something. I don't know. Anyway, I just thought it was very funny. Um, and yet there still sort of continues this this idea that the protesters are predominantly peaceful, which they are. Does it matter? Not really, because it's it's the looting and the rioting that we have to deal with. It's the fact that there are reports of crates or pallets of bricks showing up at places. Who's doing that? Who is supplying the ammunition for the looters, right? So, I want to. I want to play you. I have another clip that I that I need to play you. This has been around for quite a while, um, and it's Brigitte Gabrielle, and she is asked at a conference on the Benghazi sort of the the Benghazi tragedy, let's call it, right? Where, f- where four men were murdered as a result of an attack on the United States Embassy in Benghazi. And there's a panel convened, um, and I can't remember who exactly who's on the panel, um, but Brigitte answers a question from a young Muslim woman, and the woman stands up and says, you know, you're condemning Muslims, but there are peaceful Muslims. This, by the way, on YouTube has 18 million views. She says, she says, you know, why are you condemning Muslims? Why don't you take into account that the majority of Muslims are peaceful? Islam and all Muslims as 
So this is her asking the question. Bad, but there's 1.8 billion Muslim followers of Islam. We have 8 million plus Muslim Americans in this country, and I don't see them represented here. So she's complaining that the, that the peaceful Muslims aren't represented here, and yet they are because she's there. And what, what would you have us do, compel the peaceful Muslims to show up or what? By the way, the, the um, violent Muslims are also not represented there. So, like, what's your beef? And by the way, her name's Saba Ahmed. Um, kudos to her for at least standing up and asking her question. You can tell that she's very nervous. Kudos to her for at least raising the question. And in fact, Brigitte Gabrielle responds uh, in that way. But listen. But my question is, how can we fight an ideological war with weapons? How can we ever end this war? The jihadist ideology that you talk about, it's an ideology. How can you ever win this thing if you don't address it ideologically? Great. So interesting because her question is, how do you win an ideological war with weapons? And it would seem that she's saying you you have to fight fire with fire. And in other words, you have to fight ideology with ideology, which, of course, is is what is happening. I participated yesterday in a new documentary. Um, I won't go into details, but I, I got a chance to express, and I don't know if this will make it into the documentary or not, that we need to recognize that we are fighting a war, an ideological war. Now, right now, the ideological war that we're fighting is the Judeo-Christian ideology of the individual as the sovereign in his own life, as his own sovereignship, that the individual has sovereignty and has a voice within the community versus the communist, secular humanist view that, no, everybody's basically just a biological machine uh, created completely by chance and therefore intrinsically has no value except what they can contribute to the whole or the party. And the fact that we don't quite recognize that as a society yet is to our detriment. It is what has permitted us to fall into the relationship that we currently have with China, which is a very dependent relationship. And it's going to be painful to extricate ourselves. It's like, it's like if, if, well, anyway, I won't go into that. So I want to play you Brigitte's answer because this never gets old. And um, and you need to hear it. Listen. Question. I am so glad you're here and I am so glad you brought that up because, us, because it gives us an opportunity to answer. What I find so amazing is since the beginning of this panel, which we are here about Benghazi attack against our people, not one person mentioned Muslims. We are here against Islam, or we're launching war against Muslims. We are here to discuss how four Americans died and what our government is doing. We were not here to bash Muslims. You were the one who brought up the issue about most Muslims, not us. And since you brought it up, allow me to elaborate with my answer. 
There are 1.2 billion Muslims in the world today. Of course not all of them are radicals. The majority of them are peaceful people. The radicals are estimated to be between 15 to 25 percent according to all intelligence services around the world. That leaves 75 percent of them peaceful people. But when you look at 15 to 25 percent of the world Muslim population, you're looking at 180 million to 300 million people dedicated to the destruction of Western civilization. That is as big of the United States. So why should we worry about the radicals 15 to 25 percent? Because it is the radicals that kill. Because it is the radicals that behead and massacre. When you look throughout history, when you look at all the lessons of history, most Germans were peaceful. Yet the Nazis drove the agenda. And as a result, 60 million people died. Almost uh, 14 million in concentration camps. Six million were Jews. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. When you look at Russia, most Russians were peaceful as well. Yet the Russians were able to kill 20 million people. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. When you look at China, for example, most Chinese were peaceful as well. Yet the Chinese were able to kill 70 million people. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. When you look at Japan prior to World War II, most Japanese were peaceful as well. Yet Japan was able to butcher its way across Southeast Asia, killing 12 million people, mostly killed with bayonets and shovels. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. On September 11th in the United States, we had 2.3 million Arab Muslims living in the United States. It took 19 hijackers, 19 radicals to bring America down to its knees, destroy the World Trade Center, attack the Pentagon, and, and kill almost 3,000 Americans that day. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. So for all our powers of reasons and us talking about moderate and peaceful Muslims, I'm glad you're here. But where are the others speaking out? And since you are the only Muslim representative... So the the applause goes on, um, and she she finishes up brilliantly. The point is that the peaceful protesters, while they are making a statement, they are actually serving as cover for the rioters and the looters. Which is why the government is within its rights to issue curfews. Uh, we're under a curfew where I'm living now which shocks me, and yet it, it shouldn't shock me. We're under a curfew because the protesters are basically offering cover for the looters and the rioters who then come out at night and create havoc. And this may not be tolerated. This cannot be tolerated. It's it's actually... so. You could almost go a step further than what Brigitte Gabrielle says. They're not irrelevant. They are, Lenin called them useful idiots. And I'm not, uh, this isn't to a person. This is as a general population. Okay. So I'm, uh, so, so while I agree with the protesters, okay, I agree that what happened to George Floyd should never have happened, should never be condoned. Uh, and should and should be uh, the the perpetrator should be brought to justice. At the same time, 
the peaceful protesters are offering the cover that the rioters and the looters need. And the rioters and the looters don't care about George Floyd. They just want to riot and loot and create havoc and mayhem and turmoil and cause problems. So then we have to reevaluate. Are the peaceful protesters now justified? We have to be careful. Because if they're doing, in their peaceful protests, if they are accomplishing more harm than good, they need to be thinking about that. Not that, not that I think the government should, you know, try to limit the First Amendment rights. It's a First Amendment right. But at the same time, you have a responsibility when you're exercising your rights. You don't just get rights and not have responsibilities. That may be a discussion that needs to that needs to happen. At what point do the protesters become responsible for the riots and the looting? Maybe maybe at 8:30 p.m. when the curfew starts. By the way, there are a number of uh, a number of videos on um, on uh, you know on on the internet of uh, people now being arrested. Mark Dice uh, tweeted this. I thought this was kind of interesting. I'm not sure how well the audio will play. Listen. Stand up for me, miss. Okay, so there's a young woman who's being arrested. She's crying. She's like basically having trouble breathing. She's standing. She's standing up, but she's like hyperventilating because she's so traumatized by being handcuffed and they're handcuffing her with her hands behind her back. So the point is, uh, Mark Dice tweeted that and said, next time, don't bring your children to the riots. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. You see, at what point do you become complicit in what other people are doing as a group? At what point are you now complicit? And then Carpe Donctum tweeted, I don't want to be an anarchist anymore. (laughs) Kind of funny. Uh, Drew Holden tweeted this. Conservatives aren't mad because there are protests. We're mad because all of you said we were evil for suggesting mere weeks ago that some things are too important to keep locked down. Don't remember? Well, lucky for you, Twitter is free and the internet is forever. And so he posted a thread. So Joe Lockhart tweeted, you're a grandma killer. Yes. You're also a nurse killer, a doctor killer, a cop killer, a grossly killer, a student killer, a five-year-old killer. Basically because you don't agree that everybody should be locked down. Bethany Shondark 
had tweeted that had suggested that some things needed to be reopened, that we needed to get the economy back moving. But Joe Lockhart disagreed. For all the Americans ignoring the stay-at-home mandates, could you please wear your red MAGA hats so we don't confuse you with a first responder or essential worker? What a jerk. You can call me a grandma killer, Bethany tweeted back. I'm not sacrificing my home, food on the table, all of our doctors and dentists, every form of pleasure, museums, zoos, restaurants, all my kids' teachers, in order to make other people comfortable. If you want to stay locked down, do. I'm not. To which, at which point people just, I mean, they're so nasty. I'm not going to read them all. I'm just saying there are, there are, oh, and this is Drew Holden, and it wouldn't be a thread without Kurt Eichenwald in the mix. So he's showing us Kurt's tweets at the time. Again, no concerns when talking about the latest round of protests. Kurt tweeted, and heads up, Grandma Killer, since Fox makes you stupid, not many kids are dying of COVID. Instead, as Brits in New York report, they're getting comorbid pediatric multi-symptom inflammatory syndrome from COVID that's landing them in PICUs and cardiac vent support. They're so nasty. The dumbasses of both parties would rather go to a bar and kill a bunch of people by becoming carriers than to act like they are a part of society. It's, and it's funny. So multiple multiple tweets about how it's absolutely terrible to be going out. And now it's like, no, everybody has the right to protest. And there's no social distancing at the protests, although a lot of people are wearing masks. I will grant you that. Not a peep of concern. And yet they go, they go through and show, Drew Holden goes through and shows all of the tweets about how terrible it is that people are being let out of their houses. But then when it comes to protests, it's all good. Have at it. It's understand. So Charlotte Clymer, it's understandable that young people are questioning the guidance to stay at home and avoid infecting older folks because they're angsty over climate change. If you have expressed this or agreed with something along those lines in the past 48 hours, you're an a-hole I can't even, honestly, it's, you, you can't really keep up with the logic. The law, and that's, of course, the problem of the left. Somebody asked me the other day why the left is so angry. And there are a couple of reasons. I've been, I've been working this puzzle out. One reason, I think the primary reason is because the left clearly operates more on emotion. And the right then basically tries to operate not absent emotion, but um, with, with, uh, with due regard to emotion, but no more than due regard, with, with no undue regard toward emotion. In other words, keep your emotions in check because you really should be operating under logic. Um, and so, so we could just sort of weigh those two things or, or compare those two sort of points of view against each other, right? So one, totally emotional, one, totally logical, right? Those would be the two extremes. So if the left is more the emotional, 
and the right is more the logical, then obviously the anger, if the right is the logical and the right is trying to avoid getting trapped in just making emotional choices, the left is not, and therefore the left will indulge their emotions more because they feel justified in indulging their emotions. And one of the strongest emotions is anger, and therefore they feel justified in putting voice to anger. And what that does is it amplifies the anger that they feel. Haven't you ever noticed that? When you finally sort of let loose in an argument and you get angry, you you know, you try to hold it in, you're controlling yourself, and, and then you finally go, you know what? This is why blah, 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 you know. And now I'm angry. And then it all comes out. So that's one reason the left is so angry. But the other reason, and I've been puzzling this out, but it just sort of occurred to me the other day, is that they're caught up in a series of lies. And so they don't actually have answers because their answers could be correct as much as easily as they can be dead wrong because it's all based on lies. There's so many lies. Now there's, there's always like a little bit of truth in certain parts of the lies, right? But really not. So when your whole house is built of cards of course you're angry. First of all, you can't make sense of anything. Look, it's a lie that we are here by accident because it cannot be. It, it simply cannot be that we are products of an accident of nature. And there is no proof for it. There's only statements if you even go to their, the seminal text, The Origin of Species, the Darwinian text, Darwin himself refutes the theory and says, without finding the missing link, that's where the term missing link comes from, all of this is for naught and cannot be taken as any kind of authority, authoritative view. So, there's absolutely no proof that we are the product of accidents. But that's what we're teaching children in school. And then we wonder why they're angry. What if I told you? In fact, maybe I should start doing this with people. Oh, you're an atheist? Oh, so, so you think that life has no meaning? Why are you still alive? What's keeping you going? Oh, you you're you're going to you're going to stay go you're going to keep going because you have a spouse that loves you. But you believe that their life has no meaning. Why why would you then devote any time? You see people don't behave the way they profess that they believe. And so if you're not behaving the way you profess you believe, you are living a lie. And that is 
infuriating. It must be. And therefore, your offset would have to be anger. I don't know. You tell me if that stands up in court. I can't uh I can't say for sure. I'm still working on it. It's a theory. I want to uh thank you all for going to my website and for going to my YouTube Accidental Homeschooler. Um I've gotten some great comments. I, I really appreciate the questions. I got this comment, watch the Sorbos, let there be light. Contrary to my ex-wife's claim that I'm a heartless, unemotional robot, the movie caused my eyes to leak. <laughs> Loved the in the other room explanation. If you don't know, if you don't know that, you haven't seen the movie. That has resonated with so many people, and I just really love it. Um, so, very... Very cool. Caused greater leakage of eyes. I thought I thought that was funny. Um, let's see. I heard you talking on Epoch Times about homeschooling. I was struck by your saying that our schools may be teaching children about the human rights laws of the United Nations, which is a concern. Yes, it is. The UNDOR, the UN Declaration of Human Rights, is what they're teaching in schools. It's very... Very detrimental. So I'm just, yeah, um, I'm looking at these. A constitutional education, we really ought to be teaching the Constitution. I had somebody reach out and say, hey, he says, there exists, of course, more views on the Constitution than right-wing views. No, not really. For example, an economic interpretation of the Constitution of the United States by Charles Beard offers, as the title states, an alternative view on the Constitution. Beard, he writes, uh, argues that the Founding Fathers were an economical interest and that the Constitution, rather than philosophical influences, was an economical defense by a special interest group. I will completely discount that. Um, You know, you you can make an argument for anything. Sure, you can make an argument for anything. And then I get the right to tear it apart uh, because that's how debate works. Um, If if the argument is they were just putting forth an economic uh, an economic solution so that they could be prosperous, um, then I would say that they were serving humanity in that pursuit because they created the most prosperous nation that the world has ever seen and the greatest leap in prosperity for humankind because the nation that they created was a free society in which people of all races and creeds could prosper. Well, but there's systemic racism. No, there isn't. There is racism that still exists in individuals. It is not systemic. I just watched a video. My son showed me a video today. Apparently, Viola Davis tweeted it. Um, that, that puts forward in a very calm manner this idea that there are two young men, two boys going to school, growing up, 
One is a white boy. He lives in a white neighborhood. One is uh, Jamal, Kevin and Jamal. Jamal lives in a black neighborhood and doesn't have the opportunities that Kevin has afforded to him. And but but Jamal amazingly makes it into the same college that Kevin goes into and yet still doesn't have the same opportunities because um, and they cite a bunch of uh, a bunch of statistics, but they don't actually say where they get the statistics from. And then they claim that it's because of systemic racism and they talk about redlining districts and funding for schools and schools need more funding and, and, and because, because the liberal solution to anything is throw money at it. But the racism that exists is two-sided. In as much as it exists, and you have to admit it is a human condition, and therefore every human is susceptible to being a racist, and either is or isn't. And then you have to look at all of the mitigating circumstances. So they took two extreme circum, two extreme individuals. But there are plenty of communities that are fully integrated. There are plenty of communities that are partially integrated. There are plenty of schools that are integrated or not integrated to varying degrees. And to paint all of this with one brush and say the system is rigged. Well, you know, the system is rigged now against Asian Americans because um, the high score, because because of affirmative action, I suppose you would call it, um, Harvard admits fewer Asians and more blacks. And the results of that have been disastrous for some of the blacks who have been admitted because they don't actually make the grade. And of course it's been disastrous for the Asian, for the Asian students who would have totally made the grade, but got ousted by an undeserving um, other student of color of a, of a preferable color. That's racism. So when you want to paint the whole system with the racism brush and say it's systematic racism, it's only systematic racism where it's actually codified, which seems to be affirmative action. That would be systemic. And the way to get rid of that would be to get rid of affirmative action. And then, of course, the other problem is that affirmative affirmative action, because it insisted on on race-based hiring now made it such that if you are a person of color who might have benefited from affirmative action, the assumption might well be that you are incapable of doing the job but only got the job because of affirmative action. And by the way, my husband Kevin got the job uh, playing Hercules because he was really good-looking and he had a spectacular body. And so people assumed that he couldn't act and that he was stupid. Because that's what they assumed. Because it was clear that he got the part because of the way he looked. And, and rightly so. I'm not arguing that. 
But the only reason that that show went for seven years is because he's a damn good actor. Because a hot body and good looks will only take you so far on a TV series. Unless you're a babe. I suppose if you're a babe, it'll, it might take you far. Anyway. So this kind of sort of limitations in thinking happens all the time. All right. And then this individual who's criticizing me for only presenting a glorified view of uh, the Constitution says, by the way, there's also a people's history of the United States, which offers a critical view of American history as opposed to the highly conservative views you're teaching. By the way, that is the view that is taught in most schools now. The Howard Zinn book. Howard Zinn was an avowed communist. And no, I don't take instruction from communists on the origins of the United States because they have a bias with which I disagree So I'm being discerning when I completely discount a people's history of the United States as an alternative view. Also, because I know that he has no morality, being a communist, being an avowed communist, he has no morality. Therefore, I cannot trust anything that he says in the book because he believes that lying is a good way to achieve your goals. And there are many proofs within that book that show what a lying scumbag the author is. So no, I will completely discount that book as well. And then he finishes with this. To claim that American educational system is indoctrinating the youth while at the same time teaching American exceptionalism and conservatism is highly hypocritical? Really? You're just an idiot. That's idiotic. To claim that American edu- that the American education system is indoctrinating the youth, that's just truth. I'm claiming that. It's absolutely true. And then uh, American exceptionalism and conservatism is true and proper and, by the way, completely demonstrable. Look at this nation. Well, what about the protests? Look at the protests. What a phenomenal uh, um, uh, exploration of what it means to be an American and the freedoms that we enjoy. Look at the protests. Well, look at the, the rioting and the looting. Yes, those are the bad parts that come part and parcel with all the freedoms that we enjoy. And we have some responsibilities there. Responsibilities that I would argue have been neglected for decades where in our education system so i guess today i'm putting the protesters on notice beware of what your participation allows emboldens the destruction that may result Beware. I don't have an answer for you. But beware. Because I think that it's something that needs to be examined. And that's my show for today. I want to thank you so much for listening. Please go to the Sam Sorbo 
dot com website. Sign up for my newsletters. Go ahead and send me uh, an email on what you thought of the show today. I do appreciate getting emails, even if they anger me and make me refute them on air. It's fun. And then tune into America's Voice dot news today live. I'll be on there in the three o'clock hour. Now go have a great rest of your day.